You are listening to KZUM Lincoln, your community radio station. Hello, folks. How you doing? It's time for How's It Growing right here on KZUM Lincoln. Hi, I am Bob Hendrickson. I'm with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum, planting Nebraska each and every day for you. All right. Well, happy Wednesday this August 3rd. It is the dog days of summer, man. Yesterday was brutal. Uh, we didn't make it to see Bonnie Raid at Pinewood Bowl, but saw a lot of friends on Facebook this morning saying what a great show it was. Oh, man, I hate when that happens, right? Uh, well, kudos to you if you suffered through that heat and uh, saw a great show last night, Mavis Staples and Bonnie Raitt at uh, Pinewood Bowl. Good stuff, Maynard. Well, tomorrow night, Steve Earl's in town. Looking forward to that show. That one we're going to make. Uh, anyway. Well, glad you could join me today here for How's It Growing. I am flying solo today, so I tell you what, it would be a great day for you to call in, 474-5086. I'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, comments, questions, whatever. Maybe you've been kind of holding back because you'd want to interrupt a conversation. Man, today would be a great day. Love to chat with you. i got stuff to talk about, as always. Uh, when it comes to plants, you know me. <laughs> I can talk with the best of them when it comes to plants. Big fan of plants. Hey, and speaking of plants, um, well, first of all, I want to give a shout out to last week's guest, Mike Gutzman uh, from New Century Environmental. And Mike came on to talk about the wonderful work they're doing in the state of Nebraska. And, uh, you know, we're going to have Mike back on again. I want to talk specifically, more specific about plants, uh, wetland plants and lowland species and how important they are uh, to our biodiversity and cleaning our water supply and uh, how we need to get back to that somehow, some way. So we'll have Mike back on the program at some point next year because I'm booked up except for today. <laughs> I think today is about the only uh, open date I had where I didn't have anybody scheduled in the, the, for the show. And, uh, yeah, so the rest of the month, pretty pretty busy. Okay, and uh, so, oh, uh, speaking of plants, I wanted to mention uh, Wichesca Audubon is having their tour of the wild side this Saturday from 10 o'clock until 2 you can go anytime, you know, all four hours, or you can say, you know, pack a lunch and plan on eating at one of the sites. But basically, this is a tour on your own. Great way to support Wichisca Audubon. You can make a donation at those sites, any one of those sites. And, but there's uh, six total, and I'm going to be at one of them, Aldersgate United Methodist Church there at 84th and South Street is doing great work outside of the church, uh, building an impressive arboretum and lots of native plants and a good place to see what the wild side might look in your yard, how we all need to kind of less grass and and more wild stuff, right, for our critters. And uh, so this uh, tour of the wild side with Wachiska is a great way for you to connect with people that also want to do the same thing you'd want to do and maybe offer some tips and tricks and things like that. Uh, join us for the tour of the wild side this Saturday, 10 till two. I'll be at Aldersgate from 10 until noon, I believe. And uh, you can go to any of the other sites. If you just type in wichiscaaudubon.org right on their homepage, you'll see a tour of the wild side map. We have Tim and Carol Hinkle, on there they're out near 84th and uh, 148th and holdridge and uh peg and larry fletcher big fan of peg and larry and the work they do at their prairie kind of a a prairie that used to be cropland i think it was a soybean field before they did what they did and uh, so a, a good example of an acreage owner um doing it on the cheap 
And that's what I like about that. You know, it can get kind of expensive if you go with a company that offers seed and whatnot. Um, they did it on their own, collected a lot of the seed themselves, railroad right-of-ways, other little prairie remnants and things like that. They've collected seed over the years and just scatter them in their prairie and let things do their thing. And uh, it's worked out to a very impressive prairie that is at 105th and A. If you can't make it out and you ride your bike a lot out on the Motpack Trail, you'll see... Um, yeah, you'll drive right by their place, right there by Walton, and I think it's 105th and A. And then we've got uh, the Walt Branch Library is going to be on that tour as well. That is, uh, where is Walt Branch? Uh, is that the one there at uh, 48th and uh, Normal? And I'm sorry, 56th and Normal. And then we have Dave and Linda Tinderington. Dave is the owner of Wildbird Habitat Stores, so they had to move from their longtime residence near East Campus. So a good example of we just moved in here, and look at how fast we are able to get life on our property. So that's a good one for, for beginners, in my opinion. And then we have the Arapahoe Community Garden, which put it in a wonderful little pollinator garden, prairie garden, there at the Arapahoe Community Center. All right, good stuff. Tour the wild side with Wachiska Audubon this Saturday, anytime between 10 and 2 o'clock. All right. Well, you maybe noticed uh, today earlier, man, I got up, it was still dark out, and I saw lightning to the north, so I had to flip on radar to see where it was, and yeah, we got missed by a county again. So the last three or four rains, Lincoln has been just barely missed, either a county south of us or a county north of us. So yeah, it's dry. It's dry and it's hot. And it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> no, I know it's getting annoying. I was definitely, it makes this gardener crabby um, if you think about it. So we, we're, we're here to uh, celebrate the good things of gardening, kind of, sort of, today. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about was the dreaded squash vine borer. And uh, if you've grown zucchini or yellow summer squash, a variety of different squashes, you probably know what I'm talking about because they can make you kind of, well, it's just kind of depressing when they do their thing and you have a great-looking squash vine out there, your zucchinis are coming on, everything was looking great, you come out there one morning and the whole darn plant's wilting down and like, what the heck happened? What did I do? What, you didn't do anything wrong, right? It was that squash vine borer that came in. Well, anyway... Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit. Maybe a way you can prevent them from doing your thing because if you have that and your squash vine is wilting, there's not much you can do about it. You can do a little surgery down at the base of your plant and try and, um, you know, take those larvae out, but that's easier said than done. I got better things to do than try to do that. I think the best thing to do is offer preventative medicine. That's what we're all about here on How's It Growing. And I had an entomologist friend, uh, Oh, Fred Baxendale, a longtime backyard farmer, entomologist, and extension entomologist with the University of Nebraska. And he always said, plant more than one for safekeeping. Well, a lot of us don't have room for more than one zucchini, right? They take up, they swallow up a lot of space. So, but again, if you have the space, you know, plant some, uh, six of them, right? Uh, then you're swimming in zucchini, right? <laughs> or yellow squash. So there's really no easy solution. If you do just one plant, that's kind of what we're basing this on. You, you know, you're kind of relying everything, all your harvest, you're putting all your eggs in that baby's basket. So you want to make sure to prevent that squash vine borer from coming and doing its thing. And uh, how does it get there in the first place? Well, it's an attractive orange and black cesslid moth. 
is what it's called, and they're active during the day. And you actually, when you see those things flying around, they're really colorful, kind of a, a red and backed, a red and a black uh, clear wing type moth. And uh, they're pretty impressive flyers. So they, you actually kind of will think it's a wasp when you see them flying around. They're pretty good sized little things too, maybe about an inch. Um, so anyway, they fly around. They're a native insect too, but uh, certainly we brought squash here from all the southern Americas way back in the day and uh, these critters have learned to uh, take advantage of them and what they do is fly down at the base of that squash plant the very base near the ground oh three to four inches up something like that and they will lay the eggs right at the base of that plant and you can go around and monitor that and try to find them but usually you'll miss it because uh, you know you got to do it daily and time gets in the way uh, so preventing them from laying those eggs is the main thing, and they'll always lay those eggs at the base of the plant, you know, sometimes at the base of an individual leaf, and you can just cut that leaf away. And if you know a squash plant, you know, those tall leaves that are kind of hollow, um, if one leaf is wilting, good, a good chance that there's a larvae boring in the base of that leaf, and you can just cut that leaf away and problem solved. But if it's boring in the main stem, that's why you're seeing the whole thing wilt literally in one day because as the eggs hatch, those little larvae um, will, will bore inside. Uh, picture a grub, basically looks like a grub. And they'll bore inside there and eat the plant from the inside out. And, uh, you know, you'll kind of, if you have that wilting squash, you can look at the base of the vine and you see, you know, it looks like uh, sawdust kind of at the, at the base of it as they're munching through there and whatnot. And basically, you know, destroying the plant from the inside of the stem so how do you keep them from laying eggs on that stem that's the big thing is the preventative medicine and uh <clears throat> well anyway there's there's about six things you can do and one of the best things you can do is apply bt and that bt is bacillus thuringiensis however it's pronounced it's a bacterial spray and it's a naturally occurring bacterium found in soils around the world and uh, research has indicated that it's a virtually harmless to non-target species and uh, it has been approved for organic farming so organic farmers can use this you can use it too and not bat an eye that you're hurting the environment you can basically spray the base of your uh, plant the stems and and you know th those those few leaves at the base of the plant uh, once per week or more if there's a lot of rain because rain will wash it off and then uh, the larvae or the eggs will likely be killed long before developing large enough larvae to harm your squash plants. So that once a week thing is a good thing to do. And I know time can get in the way too. And it's like, oh shoot, I forgot to spray them last week. Well, and you may say, well, BT will still harm butterflies. Well, the last time I checked, I don't see a whole lot of butterflies pollinating my uh, squash plants. It's always bees and uh, never seen a butterfly taking advantage of them because it's a very tubular flower and they love to crawl inside there and the bees just go crazy for them they love them and um, anyway if you're spraying you would spray like in the evening you know around dusk time when the bees aren't out or early in the morning or before sunrise or right at sunrise if you want to be really you know no matter what you don't want to harm any sort of butterfly uh, because bt will only bother those things the moths and butterflies it won't bother the bees uh, it won't make them sick so it's a very safe beneficial bacterial spray you can use on your squash plants me personally i've never done that one before why because i don't know i i guess i could say i'm too lazy but um i just 
don't buy the BT and I don't spray. So uh, that one doesn't work for me. I think one of the best things you can do is mulch the squash plant's stems. So if you mulch around that main stem with, uh, gosh, you could use wood chips. Uh, my, my mulch of choice is either leaves or uh, straw. Uh, leaves because I usually have a lot of them. Straw because it's readily available. You can get it and it's breathable. It, uh, the, the oxygen can still get in there so I'm not smothering the plant. And if you cover that, oh gosh, the first six inches of the stem, I guarantee you, you're going to be safe. So the moth can't get in there and lay its eggs anymore because you put something in its way. Some people, kind of the old wives' tale is, oh, put some tinfoil around the base of the plant, you know, and that, and then they can't get their uh, lay their eggs. Sure, you can do that. That sounds too much like work to me. Plus, if I put the mulch around the base of my plant, I'm holding in the moisture too because uh, they are water hogs, as you know. They take a lot of water. They like a lot of water. So why not mulch them? nice and deep as they're growing the kicker is you have to hit cover that stem when the plant's young you know like when it's a foot or two high rather than waiting for it to get three to four feet high and five to six feet wide and then you finally do it you're oftentimes too late the squash vine borer has done its thing so you got to get it early and uh, mulch that stem and keep them from laying their eggs in the first place it works very well i've even heard a an old tale of, of, of smearing some Vicks VapoRub on the base of the plant, and that'll keep them from laying their eggs. Not sure if that one's true, but uh, I've never done it before. But, hey, more power to you. I'm a big fan of Vicks VapoRub. Why not use it to deter <laughs> squash vine borers? You know, and don't uh, mistake the squash vine borer for the squash bug. The squash bug's a different critter, and they're kind of these, uh, they lay multiple eggs in very tight clusters, whereas the borers often lay only a single egg at one spot. So again, that, that borer's egg is kind of hard to, to notice, whereas the squash bug tends to lay their eggs on the underside of the leaf in this very distinct pattern. You could just Google that and say squash vine bug egg clusters and see what they look like. The problem there is how are you going to flip over every leaf to check and see if it has the squash vine bugs on it? Well, my attitude was always like, well, while I'm out here watering, I'll just kind of hold the hold the watering wand on my plant, and then as I'm doing that, I'll kind of flip the leaves, and you know, maybe I'll do a couple dozen leaves, and then get sick of that, and kind of say, okay, <laughs> didn't spot any. But if I do spot any, usually you can just rub them right off, and uh, squash bug be gone, the squash egg be gone, or I've even taken a scissors out with me, and I'll cut out that little portion of the leaf where that egg cluster is and discard of it however you want to discard it. Uh, that works pretty slick too, but sometimes those egg clusters are not on the tips. They're more in the body of the leaf where, you know, you, you hurt the darn leaf and cut the whole thing off. And sometimes I will cut the whole leaf off if there's more than one cluster, a whole bunch of them, and the plant has dozens and dozens of leaves. I figure one leaf isn't going to hurt cutting that off and preventing those darn squash bugs because first of all they're just kind of gross everybody freaks out when they see them because they're kind of freaky looking kind of pale gray and then when they get bigger they're even more freaky looking uh, so easy way to control the dreaded squash vine borer um, highly recommend using those methods and uh, and doing it upright and doing it more natural but <clears throat> excuse me another thing i like to do with squash with with zucchini with yellow squash gosh i'll do it with eggplant um oh gosh oh, we'll, we'll stop at those three 
oftentimes we want the biggest and the best. And so we'll harvest our zucchini and we'll miss it. And they'll turn into that big boat, right? And then you then it's good for nothing but zucchini bread or something like that, right? Well, the best time to harvest zucchini, yellow squash, eggplant, we'll just throw those three together is when they're small, very small. I mean, we're talking, I love yellow squash when it's only about two inches long, three at the most, because then you don't have to cut away any seeds. And if you harvest a zucchini when it's only two to three inches long, it's one solid piece of fruit too. It doesn't have a lot of seeds in it, so you don't have that spongy inside that you have to cut away. You can just eat the whole darn thing. My best way to prepare a cute little two to three inch zucchini, and sometimes when they're that small, the flower will still be attached. And that's when you're talking the five-star gourmet restaurants because they will have growers bring those to them. They'll saute up that, that little baby two-inch squash that still has the flower attached, and then they'll stuff that flower and, uh, and basically um, sear it, fry it, so there's, it's like maybe stuffed and then dipped. The flower itself is dipped in an egg batter. So you have a fried squash blossom on the end of a little baby zucchini. That is the bomb. And you can look up recipes for that if you can catch it in time when that flower is still attached. Uh, I haven't been able to do that, but I have just cooked up the zucchinis with the flowers attached. I just haven't, you know, done all that work where you're stuffing the thing and dipping it in some egg batter and frying it. That is some work, <laughs> right? But if you have not had the pleasure of harvesting zucchini, yellow squash, or eggplant when they're tiny little babies, you'll be happy you did. What I like to do is I'll take those little baby zucchinis about, again, two to two inches long, and uh, I'll basically cut them in half and then put them in a container and marinate them. And that marinade could have some olive oil, maybe some fresh basil and parsley, salt and pepper, some spices, whatever turns you on, uh, garlic, of course. And let them babies marinate overnight. And then that beautiful marinade will kind of enter into the, the cut part of that uh, zucchini, yellow squash, or eggplant. And then the following day, you cook them on the grill. And oh my, oh my, if you've never had grilled zucchini, baby zucchini and baby yellow squash and baby eggplant, you'll never go back to the other ones. They're just so good. And of course, you don't have to grill it. You can just saute them. And they cook relatively quickly because, well, they're small. Now, you might be saying, well, dude, I don't want to harvest them when they're that small. I'm not getting enough out of my plant. Well, if you're preventing the squash vine borer from coming in the first place, you're going to just, it's just going to bloom and produce and produce and produce. And the more you cut those little baby zucchinis, the more flowers you're going to get. Because to the plant, I haven't gotten my business done. I'm going to keep producing flowers until I'm able to get those big boats to produce seed and things like that, right? So the more you harvest, the more flowers you get. Eggplant, the same way. The more you harvest, the more flowers will come on because the plant, again, will be able to put more energy into flower production rather than the, the fruit ripening, if that makes sense. So uh, I'm telling you, harvest away. It doesn't hurt the plant. And if you're out there nightly checking them, you'll catch them at that little two-inch stage. And then I'll put those in the fridge until I'm able to deal with them, unless I'm cooking them straight up that night. Nothing more fun than to go grab it, a little baby zucchini, yellow squash, and, and uh, eggplant and uh, cook them up right there that night, right? Uh, man, that's what we love about summer. That is for show. All right, so that's my little take on the squash and the squash harvest. Oh, and by the way, um, I'm going to give a shout out to my Pat for, for teaching me about zucchini boats. 
uh, zucchini boat is a good thing to do. Now, if they get huge, you know, elephant size, and when I mean that, you know the big zucchinis, right? Two feet long, four inches across. Yeah, you know, put those into zucchini bread, zucchini cookies, a variety of products, right? And you can freeze that uh, as well. It's just not quite the same when you thaw it out. But anyway, um, for zucchini boats, what you want to do is harvest them when they're around, oh, six inches, maybe eight inches, something like that. And they're only about two inches in diameter, um, maybe three, but two is ideal. Then you cut those in half and then you basically cut out or scoop out the inner part of that, that soft spongy part of the zucchini. And then you just have the uh, more solid sides. So basically you carved out a boat um, on that zucchini half. And then you can fill that boat with whatever turns you on. It could be sauteed vegetables, mushrooms, things like that. Mix it with some Parmesan cheese uh, and some panko crumbs. Uh, top it with some panko crumbs and some more cheese if you want, right? <laughs> and then bake that puppy until uh, the cheese is nice golden brown color all melty and delicious i like mixing onions peppers uh gosh the, the inside of the zucchini i'll saute up some yellow squash eggplant whatever um it's to your own imagination but boy i think it has to include mushrooms because something about zucchini and mushrooms the two just love to party together so um Anyway, zucchini boats, really, really, really good. Or you could just do the easy method, get yourself some stovetop stuffing and make up a batch of that, put that in there, top it with some cheese and bake it. That's, that's the simple, I don't have time for all that other stuff, Bob. But if you've never had zucchini boats, you're missing out. A good thing, lots of good recipes online for those zucchini boats as well. Great way to use them up. And... Probably the best way is to get to know your neighbors. If you're swimming in zucchinis and whatnot, tap on your neighbor's door. They have a hard time resisting taking free food from you. And plus, you uh, maybe you don't even know their name. This is a good way for you to break the ice. Rather than bringing them a pie, right? You're bringing them produce from your garden. And then you get to know each other by first name rather than a wave from the mailbox. So it's a good way to get to know your neighbor. We need to get back to growing more gardens, not just in the backyard, but in the front yard too, right? Then your neighbors, uh, when they're out playing around in the yard, you can all chat and talk about produce. <laughs> How cool is that? All right, you're listening to How's It Growing here on KZUM Lincoln. Hi, I'm Bob H. with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Give me a call, 474-5086. We're flying solo today. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to talk about the uh, the herb of the week that I want to highlight We've talked about it on the program before, but mine at home are just really looking cool right now. So I'm like, you know, I need to, I need to give a shout out the old bone set. So we'll talk about that when I come back after this break. Otherwise, I'd love to hear from you. 474-5086 is the number to call. Bring you back to the second half of How's It Growing only here on KZUM. Lincoln, how's it growing with you? Hey, uh, caller, call, call on back. I don't know if you got the wrong number or whatever, but uh, somebody tried to call during the break and said, I give up on you, Bobby. Hey, 474-5086, I'd love to hear from you people. Uh, maybe you have a tried and true method for zucchinis, eating zucchinis, harvesting, preventing the squash vine borer, whatever love to hear from you uh, let's share that knowledge and get it out to the people that are just frustrated trying to grow zucchinis with those darn darn squash vine borers because yeah i'm telling you 
they can be annoying and, uh, you know, kind of make you say, well, I have a brown thumb. No, it's not you. You just got to outsmart those little stinkers. Hey, caller, who am I, who am I talking to? Oh, one of the Dans. Hey, Dan, how you doing, one of the Dans? <laughs> oh, good. Oh, well, I'm going to get out in, uh, you know, when I'm, anyway, there's some things to do out, even in the heat, and yeah. especially things that need water. But I mostly called to say I'm listening, and I bet a whole lot of other people are, and just not bothering you because you're doing just fine. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Did did uh, did I give you a little like uh, light at the end of the tunnel when it came to the dreaded squash vine borer? Yeah, and 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 if I ever have to deal with that problem, I, I will. I don't have any of them myself. So, but now I know what to do. <laughs> I have. It have to rise to that occasion. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you definitely got to grow yourself some zucchini, Dan. Come on, man. And well, that... <laughs> I don't have a whole the total choice over the garden. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, anyway. Thanks, I, sir. I want to go back to listening to the radio. Cool. Thanks for calling in, Dan. <laughs> Take care, buddy. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks for calling in, Dan. Yeah, anybody else, 474-5086. Love to chat with you as well. Great to hear from you. Sometimes I'm in here and I interview a guest and nobody's calling in. And so I appreciate you letting me know there's a live body out there, Dan, because sometimes it's just me staring out the window and going, is there anybody home? Okay, let's see. Uh, yeah. Okay, now I was going to switch gears and talk about the common bone set. And uh, bone set is kind of a cool plant. And I bumped into this plant out in prairies before, you know, and thought, you know, uh, maybe it's not loud enough, showy enough for people to want to put it in their garden. You know, what's a good excuse to put this in your garden? Well, now, of course, with the whole pollinator hoopla, everybody and their puppy dog is talking about plants for pollinators and to a degree where it's annoying to some to others like going what can i do to help well this uh this bone set should be on your plant wish list and what i'm after is eventually a number of years of listening to how's it growing your vegetable garden your herb garden your whatever you want to call it garden you could walk your friends around you could walk your neighbors around and say well what do you have this plant for rather than when does it bloom, how tall does it get, is it pink, is it purple, is it yellow, is it showy, is it blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, you're walking them around saying, well, I use this plant for cold and flu season, or I use this plant when I have aches and pains, or I use this plant when I have a headache, or I use this plant, right? Uh, you're, you're basically getting your, your herbal medicine chest right out in your garden where your garden is designated towards medicinal herbs health benefit herbs right and of course food is thy medicine so uh growing your own vegetables well that's a no-brainer right because man you're getting some non-vine ripened product out of the grocery store that had probably traveled 2,000 miles to get to you it probably wasn't picked at the peak of ripeness that's why supporting your local growers your local farmers the local farmers markets we all have to be doing uh, support that business so it grows, not recedes. So the farmer's market at College View, for example, you better get there for before noon because they're usually sold out by noon. And we can't say that yet. And I think we need to be able to say that in a city our size, that these farmers that work so darn hard to bring us this awesome products um, are like going, man, we can't keep up with the demand. The demand is so great that no matter what we bring, we're selling out. That's the way it should be, right? 
Well, anyway, I'll get off that bus. But anyway, back to bone set. So here's a plant I want you to include in your garden. Why? Because it's a perennial wildflower. It's a, it's a native perennial that will come back year after year, very dependably, easy to grow. Uh, you could Google images of it if you want. Uh, common bone set is probably the, the best thing to, uh, to Google. Anyway, it's a eupatorium. And eupatoriums, uh, we'll talk about here in a bit, but that's the cousin of Joe Pie weed. And Joe Pie plant is what I like to call it because it's not a weed. But uh, common bone set is eupatorium perfoliatum. And as the Latin species name suggests, the stem appears to be growing right through the leaf. It's really a cool leaf, actually. Uh, you can Google images of it online again, but uh, the, the leaves are kind of... Uh, uh, brought together they're fused at the base kind of like cup plant i was talking about that a while back this is the only other one i know of that's fused at the base and uh it looks like the stems kind of made a hole right up through the leaves and uh, so it develops this very architectural pattern where you know the leaves are opposite on the stems but yet uh, clasped together or fused at the base really a kind of a, a cool appearance uh, of that plant. Well, the name Boneset to early herb doctors, uh, this, this uh, stem coming through the leaf indicated the plant would be useful in setting bones, hence the name Boneset. So its leaves were wrapped with bandages around uh, splints. And, uh, well, that is not necessarily true, but the dried leaves have been used to make a tonic. Bone set tea is one, or you can make uh, you can make an infusion uh, out of it uh, using alcohol for later on uh, when it is cold, cough, and flu season. Of course, people get summer colds too, right? So why not have this plant on summer flu, for that matter, for the love of Pete, right? And we won't mention a certain flu by name here, but I think you might be knowing which one I'm talking about. Variations. Anyway, um, this one would be very good for you to have on hand. So when you do get that summer flu or that summer cold, you can say, what did that nerd Bob say I should be drinking as a tea for my cold and flu uh, relief? Well, that would be common bone set. Now, the challenge for you is where to get it. Uh, the statewide arboretum, we started growing it last year, so I'm committed to saying we'll always have it, but we're kind of low on it right now. I think we have some left. But anyway, um, just put it on your wish list, uh, um, the common bone set. Um, so let's see. It's got just a, a cool folklore in history. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it goes back to like 120 BC. I mean, it's been around and used for that long, but here's kind of an interesting uh, story. Um, let's see, tucked away in the annals of history, there is a tale of uh, a fellow by the name of Eupator, the king of Pontus in Asia Minor from 120 to 63 BC, having to flee his murderous mother he went into exile in the wilderness where he purposely consumed small amounts of poisonous plants to build up his immunity. Uh, I, I, could, I could say something, but I won't to that. But anyway, th that this Eupator is where the name Eupatorium comes from. And that's the scientific name for this bone set, Eupatorium. Uh, there's a number of other plants too in the gardening world with the name Eupatorium. Anyway, so he went into the wilderness to purposely consume small amounts of poisonous plants to build up his immunity, right? And one of the plants he was supposed to have ingested was from the genus that now bears his name, Eupatorium, of which common bone set is one of about 200 species worldwide. 
So legend has it that after fighting uh, the three, what is that, uh, Mithridatic Wars, boy, that's a, that's a tongue twister, Mithridatic Wars, never heard of it, and being conquered by Pompey the Great, the humiliated Mith- Mithridates tried to commit suicide with poison. But he could not because he could not succeed because he built up his immunity so well. <laughs> so eating that eupatorium, that common bone set, was an immune booster. Uh, so basically, in that event, he asked a soldier to run him through with a sword. So it didn't work for him to poison himself to death eating poisonous plants because he had such built up such a amazing immunity. Pretty gnarly, huh? <laughs> anyway. Uh, let's see, uh, indigenous to the eastern U.S., and of course it gets into Nebraska, it is native to Nebraska, Boneset was introduced to the colonists by Native Americans. It was also used traditionally for colds, all kinds of fevers, malaria, and typhoid. And one Native American named Joe Pye became so renowned for curing typhoid with Boneset that the herb was nicknamed Joe Pye Weed. Go figure. So uh, there was actually a dude uh, selling, uh, you know, bone set and for curing typhoid fever. Uh, let's see. I wanted to find something else that I saw that I thought was rather interesting on bone set. Uh, dang a fever. I wanted to see that. Um, hmm. Well, anyway. I can't find what I'm looking for, but I'm still searching. Uh, Oh, here we go. According to Mark Peterson, he's a research chemist who specializes in herbal chemistry. Boneset is one of the most versatile plants on earth. Go figure. So this is an important baby. He believes that no one phytochemical is response for the action of boneset. Rather, is the symbiosis of all the plant's constituents that produce its remarkable effects. His research shows that in virtually every instance where there is inflammation or infection, Boneset has proven itself most effective. And Boneset has been shown to contain antiviral properties and strengthen its immune system by enhancing the secretion of interferon. And interferon belongs in a large class of proteins called the uh, cytokines. Man, I'm, I'm twisting this. I know, Pat, you're probably listening to this going, come on, Bobby, work with me. Anyway, uh, those are the molecules used for communication between cells and triggers the protective defenses of the immune systems that helps to eradicate pathogens. So basically, bone sets has immunostimulating properties. So that's a good thing, right? Well... Anyway, a high fever. So one of the things Boneset was known to be uh, is a fever reducer, best taken as a hot infusion, like as a tea. And one of the reasons I'm telling you about Boneset right now is because the plant is just coming into bloom right now. And uh, that is the best time to harvest it. It's not quite a full moon. It's actually a new moon, so I'm hoping to wait. But uh, anyway, if I can't, it is what it is. I'll go ahead and harvest it. Uh, So I'm getting those tops and with it, oh, I almost missed that call. Thanks for hanging in there, caller. Who am I speaking with? You're talking to Deb, and you need to tell your on-air host that bone set is uh, toxic, less dried. You can it, only use it dried. You can only use it dried. Oh, I'm glad you said yeah. that. I did not know because that. That's good to know. Tremorol can cause coma and death. Oh, whoa. That dried bone set does not. So only use it dried. Holy moly, it can cause death. Well, I'm glad you said that. 
<laughs> I mean, geez, Thanks. Louise. Yeah, well, before I have you here, when is the best time to harvest it? Oh, she hung up on me. Darn it. Well, thank you so much for talking about that because I did not see that in this. Um, it says uh, traditionally taken. Yeah, yeah. I'm not seeing that as a uh, precaution in what I'm reading here, but I'm very, very glad uh, that you mentioned that. Um, breastfeeding pregnant women should not be using bone set. Um, it should not be used on a long-term basis, but the way I kind of treat things like this, uh, nature's power is, you know, don't use it just to use it, you know, or do your research and uh, please, you know, consult an herbalist. Don't just listen to me. I'm just trying to turn you on to getting to know this plant more. So I really appreciate that call. Drying the plant first is critical if you're gonna make a tincture or a tea. Okay, so that's our take on bone set. Oh, and then uh, before the show it ends here with this fastest hour in radio. Uh, oh, and I'm getting another call there. All right. Hello, caller. Who am I speaking with? Hi. Is this uh, Bob? Yeah. Hi. Oh, oh, you must be. Uh, I thought you were talking to somebody else. You're not live on that. That is a, a, a taped uh, thing you're showing right now on the radio. Oh, no, it's not taped. It's live. Oh, Okay. All right, but maybe this is a lag in the telephone. This is Jack, a long-time listener. Uh, Hi, Jack. GM, way back when. Gosh, Jack, are you Jack the Jack dude? Did, do you, is this the Jack that used to call me like in the morning yes, when I did? Son of a gun. Music, yeah. Wow, how time flies, Jack. Well, right, I, I, miss, I miss I miss Perry Sun. <laughs> I miss Perry Sunrise, but I did enjoy doing. It. I yeah, did have yeah. a I did have a thirteen-year stint, so I was like, dude, I was just kind of getting tired of waking up at four thirty on Thursdays. You know, I have to admit. Well, you, but when I was calling you, you were at, at a late afternoon one. Oh, well, Before, in the nineties. I don't remember doing it ever. Oh, 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 that was that's way back, Jack. We're talking like okay. I did was show when I first started on KZUM. This had been nineteen ninety five. So you're, you're taking you me go. down memory street. That was a prairie sunset, and then I got that, I, then I switched yeah. my time to the morning, and I'm like, well, shoot, I'll just call it a prairie sunrise. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. That goes way. That was like Thursday evenings. I think seven to eight thirty. Yep. Yep. Well, anyway, uh, I had a question. We've got a little problem. I want your uh, ideas as to who to contact mm -hmm. uh, about trees. We've got a locust tree in the yard when we moved in 1990 into Lincoln from Palmyra. Um, it was there already. Okay. And it's already, it was big then. Yeah. And it's huge now. And we're a little concerned about it. We're thinking about maybe having it renewed. We want to have it checked out either to get it trimmed or so it is a monster that's got it's got branches that are almost like tree trunks wow it, it's it's a tame locust that doesn't have the thorns like you do out in the country gotcha yeah and uh so who would we recommend that we could talk to either from state of nebraska or some, someone that doesn't have any money in the game before we could come out and look at it give us you know a un uh, An unbiased you know, opinion, yeah, yeah. What to do about it? You know, and what you can do. I mean, sure, you could you could call extension. It would be one thing you could do. And mm -hmm. I don't know how readily available extension is going to be to come out to your place, right? And for all I know, they could be out there yet this week if you do call them, or if they even do make the so-called house calls, right? But I would start with extension and and find out do they. 
And if they don't, they might know, you know, okay, here's a source that would send you out. The Nebraska Forest Service, you know, you've got your community forester, um, you know, that basically handles all of eastern Nebraska. So they don't really make house calls. And then the health people with, so I think your best, uh, your best, you know, who's going to get it done is probably extension. So you'll just talk to somebody at the phone at Lancaster County extension would be a way to do that. You know, another thing you could do is try just taking some good images of it and email it to them and say, you know, here's my concerns. Um, That would save them from the so-called house call, but meaning maybe they could answer it by you sending them some good pictures and you followed up with the phone call and say, hey, I emailed you and then you're kind of going over it on the phone together, if that makes sense, um, rather than them having to make a visit. I think that would get that done, if you will. And then finally, you know, if you go with an arborist, because like you said, uh, you know, is an arborist like a used car salesman? Well, you want to make sure that they're certified. And most arborists, I'll tell you, do care that they aren't they aren't just out to make a buck off of you yeah, um, yeah. And, you know and if you get if you get two or three opinions um you know somebody might come and say you need to do this this and this and here's how much my estimate will cost you well now you now all of a sudden you're talking money right jack oh, so you talk about an arborist that might be a contractor then well just like a certified arborist so mm-hmm. so there's certified arborists uh, that you can just type in nebraska arborist association and if you go to Nebraska Arborist Association, there's one of the icons that says find an arborist near you. And then sort of list people that are certified under the Nebraska Arborist Association. You could say, okay, well, I don't know this company, but I'll try them. Mm-hmm. And so you get this company in, they give you their assessment and tell you what they think ought to be done. And here's how much it might cost you. Well, then you get a second opinion, right? And that's easier said uh, than done, I realize, Jack, getting two or three so-called bids. But just like anything in life, right, that we're, that we're going to be spending some coin on and something that's important to you, like that big tree. You know, and I could just tell you, you know, with big trees is what can I do underneath that tree to assure it's going to rain, remain with me the rest of my days, right? You know, and that's one thing we talk about on the show a lot, and that's eliminating the turf grass underneath the canopy of that tree and, and, you know, switching to ground covers and mulches so you're not mowing under it once a week and compacting the soil and all this and that. That leads to a slow but sure decline of the tree. Um, you know, as humans may not notice notice it so much, but the tree's getting stressed every year, right? And, uh-huh. and I'll also tell you, honey locust, you know, for us in the trade, we kind of look at the honey locust like, ah, you got, you got 50 good years in you, maybe 60 to 70, but after around 50 years, they start to decline. They, you start to see, you know, branches dying or, you know. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, you need. There's some branches that are falling down. Uh, and there's quite a few that, yeah, yeah, it still puts out those little tiny green leaves, doesn't give much shade. Right. And. That's why, and we're afraid that some strong wind, June thinks, it's, my wife thinks it might be hollow inside, and it uh, might crack sometime and crush our house. It would literally, it is so huge. You know, Those you could branches tell. are, they start out low, you know, they're not like an oak tree or something. Gotcha. They're huge, they're like big arms that are, Wow. we're just afraid, of, that's what we're afraid of, the falling sure. house. Sure, sure. You know, and the thing that arborists often do, my neighbor did this, and I cringe now when I walk past their their walnut. They were really nervous about the big limbs coming out. And you can tell, and an arborist can tell, too, um, is the trunk hollow. They'll they'll be able to... That's 
That's what I wondered. Yeah, they can. They literally have a little boring machine, you know, if it's oh. if they suspect it, and then they can basically. It's like a drill, basically a drill bit, a long oh. drill bit. You can tell if it's hollow inside when you, you know, obviously are not into wood anymore, but you can usually tell by see if there was an old branch that was pruned away, and and now you see kind of like a hollow behind that branch, mm-hmm. you know, and then you don't know well how deep does that hollow go? Is it way up on the tree? Is it down at the base of the tree? You know, that arborist will be able to give you that assessment. Something they may not be able to do with a few pictures sending it to extension, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, I want somebody to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would say. Have somebody look at it. You know, there's yeah. there's there's good there's good companies in Lincoln that, that's going to give you a good, honest, fair assessment. And, uh, Some of them might be in the Yellow Pages. Yeah, yeah, your so-called Yellow Pages, right? Mm-hmm. What are those anymore, Jack? <laughs> yeah, I know they're diminishing. I'm not... Uh, oh, my wife, she plays the Internet. I don't mess with it anymore. I'm, back to my, I'm a political activist, progressive political activist, and other things. I'm more interested in what's going on yeah, politically in this country. Um, so I don't dwell on that stuff. Um yeah. But, yeah, I'm concerned. That, boy, they, if they were going to trim stuff, they'd have to have a long cherry picker to go up there and, and oh, sure. attach a rope to each branch and cut them and keep them from falling down. Yep, exactly. And that's why they're so good at what they do. They're, it's a, impressive what in their engineering skills and getting those big branches down without it falling on your house and ropes and saddles and blah, blah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Impre- it's impressive, you know. Do they have cherry pickers that actually can get way up high, like 70 feet in the air? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, depending on the company, you know, some I would, you know, and I don't know if all of them do, but I would say that the majority of, you know, if you're, you know, your name comes up on a search, you know, you're probably, you know, invested in one of those big cherry pickers. Um, so they're a chunk of change. So that's why, you know, you're just saying, oh man, why does it cost so much? Well, because I had to buy this expensive. Near piece. A fence. <laughs> yeah, it's near a fence uh, in the backyard. Near a fence. So if it ever fell towards the street, it'd go clear across. The street, he'll smash any cars that are parked. Uh, it's that big. We're worried. Wow. Like, come down the house. And Dude, you know, the state champion. Like it down. You got me thinking the state champion, you know, that that is at 32nd and Holdridge, the state champion is, because I know the dude that measured it, and I was like, ah, oh, I know that open? tree. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you could do a drive-by just around 32nd and, uh, and Holdridge and look to the north side of the street. Well, that's over the Ag Campus. Yeah, yeah, it's right by the Ag Campus. So if you just yeah. look north and you'll spot that honey locust and you'll say, well, mine's bigger than that. I need to get this baby measured for champion status. I'll be Mine's got, I might be four years old. The house was built in the 80 or so. About oh. 80, 81. We were uh, in 90, okay. so it's now 40, 40, 41 years. Okay, well, I doubt it's as big as the champ then. Why does anybody put a locust tree? It's not very good for shade. And, well, uh, it it has its it has its advantage. It's it's a good tree overall. It's fast growing. I think is one of the reasons people like yeah. it so much. And you'll see really? cities love to gravitate towards them in those tough areas that have low root, uh, a low amount of root space. So like those tree pits, uh, as we call them, um, uh, th- because they perform so well in those tree pits. You can see a honey locust growing in downtown Lincoln with a three foot tree pit. I kid you not, where the trunk is filling that whole pit, and you can't. See any soil for like blocks? You're like, how is this thing living? <laughs> that's why. That's why they gravitate. They're so tough. The funny thing about it is the grass doesn't isn't hurt isn't uh, affected too much around it like it is over the other trees that have the big leaves. Right, is right. Is it true that the bigger the leaves, the 
actually. Oh, sure, it's shading more moisture. Yeah, those well, those fine leaves are letting in more light. We call that uh, a, a honey locust. Kind of gives you what we call dappled shade, whereas uh, an oak or mm-hmm. a, a you know fully dressed maple, yeah, that's going to give you dense shade. Probably the densest is like a linden. And people that have mm-hmm. lindens, you know, there's like, oh, I can't grow any grass under here. Well, I tell them, well, then don't plant a ground cover instead. <laughs> so. Mm. All right, right, Jack, I got to run. I'm out of time. No, no, that's cool. You got other customers, too. Oh, that's right. You're about dead. I'm done, kid. All right, take care, Jack. Which I like real well. Awesome. Hey, thanks for helping, Bob. You betcha. Good to hear from you, Jack. Talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, good to hear from Jack. Long-time listener. I don't want to say first-time caller because I know you've called before, Jack. Well, I'm out of time, folks. You have a great week. We'll talk about Mountain Mint some other time because it deserves it top ranked pollinator okay people have a great week i am out of here i'll see you next week same time same place for another rendition of how's it growing